Would you turn to the eighth chapter of Romans? We're spending a little time in this great chapter. And I'm just reading three verses, beginning at verse 14 of chapter 8. The eighth chapter, verses 14, 15, and 16. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. When I was in the seminary, there was a young guy who was pastoring a church there in Fort Worth. He's pretty much a gunner, as we would refer to him in the seminary. Had a lot of gimmicks, you know, and getting people out. He started one day, he put up a big sign, started putting up a sign. It was just like one letter he put up at a time. It was a, about a, what size are those big old sheets of, of uh, plyboard, you know, that size. And he'd put up one of them, and the first letter he put up was R. And the next week he'd put up another letter. The second letter was U, R-U. And, and the third letter was S, and that thing started getting a little momentum in town, you know, and the seminary students were taking bets on what the, you know, what it was going to be. And pretty soon everybody was driving by, you know, trying to figure out what the sign was going to be. And he went right down the line just week after week, and it really, you know, got into the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, you know, and all that good stuff. And it finally turned out to be, are you sure you are a, what do you think, Christian. Does that bother you? Does that make you feel a little bit uncomfortable when somebody comes up to you and asks, are you sure that you are a Christian? A number of years ago, the uh, Moody Bible Institute in Chicago sent some students out as a class project to O'Hara International Airport to do a religious survey of the kids that, of the passengers that came through there. And these kids asked several questions. One of them was, if you were to die, are you sure you'd go to heaven? Ninety percent of the people questioned in O'Hara, I've been through there, and I can imagine, uh, knowing the courtesy or the lack thereof of the people there, I can imagine this is an accurate survey. Ninety percent of them said, no, they were not sure. And the overwhelming answer that they gave was this, I'm not even convinced that anybody can be sure that they are a Christian. And you contrast that with this marvelous ring of security that rings from the New Testament in such statements as, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And I know that, and he lists all those things, shall not separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. 
Now, why is it that there is such security in the New Testament Christian and there's such insecurity and uncertainty among modern Christians where 90% would say, I don't think that anybody could ever know for sure that he would, be, that he would go to heaven. Perhaps the answer to that, this is too simplistic, I'm sure, but a part of the answer to that might be that, that we, some of us, approach salvation from a purely legalistic perspective. And we base salvation upon, salvation is dependent upon the keeping of the law, it's legalistic, the, the doing of the rules, the following of the ritual, the keeping of the commandments. And as long as a man's salvation or security is based upon what he does, that person can never be confident. He will always be in doubt. Now the New Testament is not committed to such an approach. The New Testament is committed to the fact that we come to know God through faith in God's Son, and it's a very personal thing. And that a person knows God through Jesus Christ, and that in knowing Jesus Christ, he has come to know God, and he indeed can say, I know whom, not I know what I have believed, but I know whom I have believed. But another thing about these New Testament Christians that gave them such confidence and such security was their knowledge of the Holy Spirit. Now they knew that the Holy Spirit came to indwell them in their innermost being at the instant of their salvation. And the Holy Spirit is the source of all experiential assurance and confidence. I need to say that again. If you have assurance and, and confidence in your salvation, the source of all experiential assurance and confidence is the Holy Spirit, so that we know that we have been saved because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and that's what this text is about. Now that is true in, in two ways, or for two reasons. First of all, because of the very presence of the Holy Spirit. And secondly, because of the witness of the Holy Spirit. So that our assurance and confidence in salvation comes as the result of the very presence of the Holy Spirit in our life and the witness of the Holy Spirit in our life. Let's look at those two things. The very presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. Now the reception of the Holy Spirit takes place at a specific moment. The moment of receiving Christ in the same act of faith, a believer receives God's blessed gift of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in his innermost being. And the text says, that the Holy Spirit by nature is not a spirit of slavery. If he is a spirit of slavery, then what he does, what he brings to us is a spirit of fear. Now what he means by that is this, what Paul is saying is this, that the Holy Spirit does not come to make us aware of an awful body of laws or rules that we're obligated to keep. 
And he is, by, he is by nature not one who comes to remind us of all the duties and requirements that we're required to observe and to keep. If that were his nature, all that he would produce is fear. The kind of fear that a slave master produces. You can see this servant as his slave master comes in the morning. And he says, now you have these requirements for today's activity. And this is your assignment. And he creates fear in the heart of the servant because he's, he knows that if he does not keep the assignment or if he breaks one of the rules, the whip of the slave master will be on his back. Rather, he says that the Holy Spirit is by nature the spirit of adoption. Look at this again. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption. And adoption, that is one of the great words of theology. And the word means to place as a son. Now Paul was familiar with Roman adoption and it, is much, it was much different than what we think of when we think of adopting a child. When we think of an adoption of a child, we think of some child who's not wanted by his parents or he's left without parents and some loving people come along and want that child and usually an infant or a baby and, and so they adopt him. But in the Roman um, world, in that culture, uh, they were placed as sons and oftentimes they were adults. They were older, older uh, young people. And sometimes a, sometime a man or a parent might not want a son, and so he would place that son for adoption. There was this, this long legalistic uh, uh, practice that went on, this ritual they followed. And the father would sell the son, and, and, the, and, the, and the adopting parent would buy him, and then he would sell him back, and they'd buy him back and sell him again three times. And at the end of that uh, ritual or practice, that son was placed as an adult son in this new home. And he received the rights of all the dignity and the inheritance of the natural children. So that the adopted son was on an equal basis with a natural son. Now we are by nature's sinners and by choice disobedient. We are by nature the children of wrath. But as an act of love, God chose us and he adopted us into his family. And God has only one natural son, as it were, but we are joint heirs with him. And he calls him the spirit of adoption. And that means that he is the spirit who makes real the adoption. And it suggests that he makes you aware that the awesome, holy God of the universe is your Father. And it is His nature when He comes into your life to make you aware of that. And He said when the spirit of adoption makes you aware that you are placed as a child in His family, you cry, that word in the Greek means the spontaneous outburst of your heart is to cry, Abba, Father. You remember when you were saved? How can you ever forget that? You may have been a child, you may have been a, an adult, but you remember that moment, that 
marvelous moment when Jesus Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit came to indwell you and all of a sudden in the inner part of your heart you called him Father. You may not have been aware of that, but you just knew in that instant you belonged to God. You remember that, don't you? Um, any of us are parents uh, here tonight, we, uh, we remember the the little ordeal you, you know you go through trying to get your kid to say his first words and the mother wants him to say mother and the father wants him to say daddy the kid could burp you know he's always oh, he said daddy you know you, you know and and so in 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 the little book you know that you keep for your kids that that day is recorded the first time he said daddy you know in a child utterance or whatever, you know what I'm saying? And, and the scripture says that when the Holy Spirit came into your heart or comes into the inner part of you, it just something happens that is awesome. And in that innermost part of a man's heart, he knows that God is his Father. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now there are two great mountain peaks of God meeting His people in the Scripture. There is the, there is the giving of the law at Sinai and the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Two great mountain peaks of God coming to His people in behalf of His will. And when He came at Sinai in the giving of the law, it was an awesome thing. And the people trembled. And he came to announce the, the, the requirements of the covenant. And in the awesome presence of God, the people trembled and they quaked in fear. Because that is always the response when the law is given. Is that man trembles in fear. He he is made aware of his lack of preparation, of his poverty, of his inadequacy. When God comes with a demand of the law, what a difference. When God gave the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, they didn't tremble in fear like a slave. They burst out into the streets with radiant faces and with voices filled with confidence and they began to preach the announcement that God had included all men in His love. Now, what Paul is saying is this, the way you know that you're saved is that when the Holy Spirit came to indwell you, you no longer feared and quaked before God and, 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 and no longer were you uh, despairing your own inadequacy and your own lack of preparation, but in that marvelous moment in radiance and joy, you knew you were, you were loved and accepted and forgiven. He is the spirit of adoption. Secondly, he gives assurance through the ministry of the witness of the Holy Spirit. And he says that the Holy Spirit bears witness. Now notice the word, it's not to our spirit. I hear that quoted so often. He doesn't bear witness to our spirit. He bears witness with our spirit. 
And it means that the Spirit Himself endorses our inward conviction that we really are the children of God. Now it all fits together that when the Holy Spirit comes as a spirit of adoption and causes you to feel that awareness that you belong to God, the Holy Spirit bears witness to confirm that with your spirit. Now verse 16 brings before us two spirits. When he says the Spirit Himself, he refers, of course, to the Holy Spirit. But when he uses the term with our spirit, he is referring to the human spirit, the spirit side of your being. And the spirit side of your being is your capacity to know God, to sense and understand the things of God. And through sin, your spirit, the spirit of man, died. It became dead, and it wasn't able to receive the things of God. So it's absolutely ludicrous for a lost man to say, well, I don't understand or can't understand the Bible, etc., so therefore I don't believe. When a person sins, the human spirit dies. His capacity to know and receive the things of God die. But they are resurrected when the Holy Spirit comes to indwell him by faith. And they are made alive from that, mo from that moment. And the two voices within you then speak the same thing, the Holy Spirit and your spirit, so that you're able to know the things of God. And the Holy Spirit bears witness that you are a child of God. Notice, that there are two words in this text for sons. One of them is translated sons in verse 15. If you have a real Bible, the King James, it's also sons in verse 16. But it's translated in verse 16 by the New American Standard, children. Now, so we can kind of see that there are two different words there. The word translated sons in verse 15 calls attention to our legal rights, our position as sons, and it harkens back to the adoption. For the adoption was a positional thing, a legal thing. And the sons of verse 15 harken back to that position and concerns our position before God. But the children, or sons of verse 16, refers not to the position or the legal rights, but calls attention to the fact of our birth. We're sons by birth. And it concerns our communion with God, so that not only are we legally and positionally within the family of God by right of adoption, but we are born into the family of God. And the emphasis is upon the fact that we have communion and fellowship with Him. Now watch this carefully. As a person has communion and fellowship with God by right of his birth, because of his birth, as he does that, the Holy Spirit comes to affirm that relationship and just say amen to that. Now, how does the Holy Spirit do that? Well, sometimes He does it by illuminating to our understanding the Scripture. Have you ever been in times where you've read the Bible and it's just like, you know, just dead and print? 
oftentimes people come to me and they'll say, you know, I don't get anything out of the Bible. I'm reading the Bible and it just be uh, just, just words. Well, join the crowd, you know. I mean, that's true with me as well. And, and anybody here, that's, that's true with them. But I've gone to the Scripture from time to time and, and, and open up the Scripture and just sense that God was speaking in that. Haven't you done that? And, 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 I, and, and I, lo and behold, it's just something that I need and God just communicates out of that and, and speaks to me out of that. And I might take my pencil down and put it in the margin there. I'll come through there years later, put a date beside that, come through years later and read that same verse and never see that. And that's the way the Holy Spirit can, just joins with your spirit and makes the Scripture come alive. Sometimes it happens in prayer. So that you and with, with God in prayer and you're pouring out your heart and all of a sudden there come those moments, there's those times when you know you've got a hold of the horns of the altar and you know God has a hold of you. And sometimes in the painful experiences of life, you're going through a deep and dark experience and, and you just know that God is there and it's the worst time of your life and yet you sense another presence there. It's like the Hebrew children cast in the fiery furnace and they looked and saw there was another there like unto the Son of Man. And sometimes it comes, He comes in the experiences of rebuke and He rebukes us. And we do something wrong and we know it's wrong and we fail to do something right that we know is right. And all of a sudden in the quiet of some night God just speaks and rebuke and we want to fall on our face and cry to God for mercy. I remember I was sitting in a worship service one time um, listening to a layman preach at a, at a uh, lay renewal weekend. This guy got up there Stumbling through this lousy sermon. I was wondering when the thing is going to be through. So we get on with the good stuff, the invitation. All of a sudden he made a, he made a statement and it was just like God took a knife. True story, just put it in my heart. I, I felt tears flowing just immediately. It was the rebuke of the Holy Spirit that man said something that God just took immediately to my heart, my spirit. No fantastic demonstration. It's not, a, it's not a spectacular outward manifestation, but a calm, unobtrusive, inward assurance that God's Holy Spirit brings. And you've had those moments, and so have I. And they're witnesses to our salvation. Now the application. There are two or three things I want to say about the application. One is that Assurance is not essential for salvation. You don't have to be assured that you're saved to be saved. I have a feeling that there'll be many people in heaven who are never really confident of their salvation. I have that absolute certainty of that. If assurance were essential to salvation, then we would have to add that to repentance and faith. And we'd, say, we'd have to say, that in order to be saved, you'd have to re repent of sin, 
by faith turn to Jesus and then be assured that you were saved. Assurance is not essential for salvation. I'm guilty of asking, how do you feel now after somebody has been saved? Normally, we have assurance and we have confidence, but the essential thing is not how we feel. We wouldn't have to have assurance to be saved. Now, why is it that some folks don't have assurance? Let me give you three or four reasons as I understand them. Maybe it's because some are ignorant of Scripture. You know, I, I think that this verse just clears up a lot of questions for me. I may not feel saved now, but I sure felt saved when I got saved. I'll tell you that for sure. And that's when the Holy Spirit came in and had me say my first word, Abba. I remember that. Um, we may be ignorant of Scripture. It may be inadequate knowledge of Scripture. We may not know God's Word, what it says. Or maybe there's some failure about you in your life, your, 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 your sense of failure, and you feel unworthy of God's love. And you say, well, God couldn't love me. I heard the story about an old boy named Zeb. He's talking to his friend Jake. He said, Jake, doesn't it soften your heart to know that God loves you? And Jake answered, you mean to tell me that God loves me when he ain't never knowed me? And Zeb said, it's a heap easier for God to love you without knowing you than if he knowed you like I do. <laughs> but Jake's friend was dead wrong. It's a heap easier. It's not any easier. God loves you the way you are, and He knows you best of all. He loves you most. Or maybe the Christian who is quenching the Holy Spirit is grieving the Holy Spirit, and he will not know much experiential assurance. Maybe that's true with you. Well, you see, if the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to, is to make experiential assurance a reality for you, if you're grieving the Holy Spirit or you're quenching the Holy Spirit in your life, then He's not able to do that ministry of assuring you. You see what I'm saying? So that what you and I need to do is to get in line with the Holy Spirit. And that's what David was crying when he said, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. The knowledge of his sin was killing him. The people who are confident about their salvation are the people who are walking in the Spirit. They're obeying the Spirit. And they're allowing the Holy Spirit to produce fruit in their life. And that's a good time to come to revival because it's my belief that revival is the place when you have genuine revival when a person lines up with the Holy Spirit and he ceases grieving him and he stops quenching him and he allows the Holy Spirit complete control. If I know I've put my faith in Christ I know that I have no doubt about my salvation. Now back to the original proposition. 
The genuine Christian ought to walk through this world filled with confidence and assurance for a fearful, doubting, troubled Christian is a poor advertisement of the grace and power of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that even now you bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Heirs with Christ, joint heirs with our Lord. And I pray that you'll make clear to us those reasons why we feel so unsure. For I pray in Jesus' name, for his sake.